Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. The midterm elections are just a few days away, and up and down the ballot, the stakes are high, with races determining everything from local elected leaders to California's climate policy to the future of Congress. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Lanconi. Today on the program, well, we're going to get ready for Election Day by checking in on a few of the most important races that the KCBS News team will be tracking come election night. And then a little bit later on, we'll take a step back from the horse race to discuss why it is that the threat of political violence seems to be growing this election cycle. This is an environment that is chock full of millions of individuals who support violence rather than accept elections that they don't like. First up, though, how to follow the election returns like a pro. We're going to speak first with KCBS political reporter Doug Sovereign to hear about the key races that he'll be watching out for on election night and why they matter. Doug, welcome back to KCBS In-Depth. Great to be with you, Keith. Thanks a lot. Uh, So glad to have you on, Doug. Uh, You, of course, have covered countless elections for KCBS over the years, and uh, you're going to be in the newsroom coordinating our election coverage this Tuesday as well. And, uh, well, we should also add that you just completed a limited-run podcast series called The Homestretch, which offers analysis and insights on many important trends that are shaping this election cycle. So uh, folks should go download that as soon as they're done here. But uh, starting off this conversation, Doug, we've we've got a lot to cover. So we're just going to jump right in and uh, start with the statewide ballot measures. Uh, We've got uh, seven of them this year, Uh, actually not too bad for a California election. Uh, Give us the quick rundown on the races and uh, which ones are still competitive. You know, at this point, I don't really think any of them is competitive, but the, certainly the headline proposition is Proposition 1, which would amend the state constitution to protect 
abortion rights and contraception rights, and that's gotten a lot of attention, but less so, I think, in the closing weeks, just because it's not going to be close. I mean, Californians overwhelmingly support abortion rights, and I'd be surprised if, you know, not if somewhere between 62 and 70 percent don't vote yes on this. So it's going to pass overwhelmingly. We had the very high uh, cost battle, half a billion dollars spent on these rival online gambling measures, uh, Props 26 and 27, to allow sports gaming. Uh, They're both going to go down to defeat uh, the poll show. They're overwhelmingly opposed. The one we were really watching that could be close was Proposition 30. And that's the one that the the Lyft uh, folks put on the ballot to um, basically put a, a surtax on the income tax of people who make over $2 million a year. Uh, and the idea was, which is, you know, as, as not us, Keith, but not very many people, uh, the idea was that money would go to support infrastructure and subsidies for more electric vehicles in California. Sounds great, right? Higher income tax on the rich to help with electric vehicles in California, also some firefighting money in there. Well, the reason Lyft did that is because there's a mandate for Lyft and Uber to have their fleets be something like 90% Um, all EVs by 2030. I think I got those numbers right. Uh, And they want more incentives so that that happens. Well, it turned out to be, you know, something Lyft put on to benefit itself. Governor Newsom came out strongly against it. And as soon as he did and started running ads against it, it nosedived in the polls. And now it looks like it's going to lose handily too. So that was the one where we thought it might pass and it might be close. But really, I think all of these ballot measures are essentially foregone conclusions this time around. All right. So an interesting slate right there. But let's talk about another race that does seem to be up for grabs at this point, uh, talking about the controller election. That office is the statewide office that uh, serves as the chief fiscal officer for California. And depending on how this one goes, we could see the first Republican candidate to win a statewide uh, office in California since 2006. Tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, I mean, the controller's race is not one that people typically pay that much attention to. It's down the ballot. It's not governor. It's not senator. And those are not competitive, right? Gavin Newsom's going to win easily. Senator Alex Padilla is going to be elected easily. Uh, you've got to get down into the controller's race before you see some drama, <laughs> where it's Lon Hee Chen, a Republican who's at the Hoover Institution at Stanford. He was in the, um, he's, well, he's worked for both Republican and Democratic presidents. Uh, and positions himself as a moderate, a pragmatic guy, a centrist, not a Trump Republican, uh, versus Malia Cohen, who's more of a career politician. She was on the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco. She was president of the board. She's on the State Board of Equalization. She's the Democrat. Uh, She obviously has a huge natural advantage. She's the Democrat. Most people don't pay that much attention to this race. They'll see the D and they'll vote for her, which is why she still remains the favorite. But Lan Hee Chen has made a good case for himself as someone who will be more of a watchdog, has more independence, won't be part of the Democratic machine. He's won the endorsements of pretty much every major newspaper in the state. Uh, Because of that attitude and approach and the way he's presented himself, he's really smart, very articulate. We've had him on KCBS several times. We've had Malia Cohen on as well. Uh, Again, it's sort of the career politician on the Democrat side versus somebody who's sort of a fresh face on the Republican side. And he's done well at raising money. He's gotten some big name endorsements. He's got some Democrats to go for him. And this is why this is seen as potentially competitive. Maybe he could break through and be that first Republican uh, in 16 years uh, to win statewide. I still don't think he's going to. But it's certainly possible that he will, and that's why we're going to watch that one really closely. And again, as with so many things in these elections, it's going to come down to turnout. If Republicans turn out in bigger numbers and Democrats stay home, he's got a better chance. 
interesting trend as well. I mean, perhaps the closeness of this race could speak to some level of dissatisfaction with the current administration, the current way that California is going. I mean, this role in particular, providing that watchdog role to the finances, for those that feel like maybe the state isn't going in the right direction, having somebody in the opposing party that could rein things in uh, could be appealing to some folks. Yeah, and there's no question that people are not happy out there. I mean, the the right track, wrong track in California, it's fairly evenly split. But the trend has been negative over the last few years. People don't think things are going well in the country. They're not satisfied with how things are going in the state. Now, they don't seem inclined to take that out on Governor Newsom because he's likely to get 60% of the vote or so and be reelected, partly because he has, you know, a a no-name opponent who has no resources. uh, And the same is true in the Senate level. Uh, But yeah, I think some of that dissatisfaction could drive some of these voters, independents, the, you know, the no party preference people, um, more moderate Democrats uh, to move over to the other side and say, let's give this guy a chance. He seems like he would do a good job. Why not? I mean, we could see some of that. And that might be one way that they uh, exercise that dissatisfaction. And that could also be true in some house races we might see where people say, you know, I'm tired of the party in power. Let's give someone else a chance. Yeah. Speaking once again to KCBS political reporter Doug Sovereign talking about the key races to watch come election night. And that uh, comments that you just gave right there tease us up well to talk about the national races. Of course, both houses of Congress are in play, the House and the Senate. A lot of questions about the Senate in particular, whether or not it will flip. But let's focus on the House first and what role California races might play. Uh, You were telling me that there are are, uh, quite a number of races in Southern California that uh, could go either way at this point. Yeah, I mean, there are 10 or 11 competitive races in California, and there are five or six that are really toss-ups, and they're in the Central Valley, and they're in Southern California. They're not in our part of the, the world. They're not in the Bay Area, uh, where Democrats have a hammer lock on everything. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's some very close races in the Central Valley and, and in the LA and San Diego areas where they could go either way, and it'll be turnout dependent. I mean, you've got some Republicans who are in office who barely won last time who could lose to Democrats this time, and then you've got some Democrats in office who are in, and remember, all the districts have been redrawn from redistricting so that the makeup of these these districts has changed some people have had to change districts as far as you know where where they're running this time as opposed to where they represented last time Uh, and if those five all go to the republicans that's going to obviously boost the republican uh effort to take over the house if the democrats win them all and flip a couple of those gop seats it's going to be a narrower margin in the house i do think nationally that the republicans are going to take the house it would take a perfect storm for democrats of huge turnout of young people who don't typically turn out in 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 great numbers of young people of the democratic base uh, voters of color younger people if the suburban college educated moms across the country are motivated more by abortion than the economy and they pull the lever for the democrat or punch the hole for the democrat rather than the republican yeah it's possible the democrats win and nancy pelosi remains speaker the most likely outcome though is that the republicans do take the house and they do it by holding some seats in California or flipping a couple of Democratic seats, and they end up with a 10 or 20 or 25 seat edge in that new House of Representatives. Yeah, so California playing an important role uh, this election cycle in the House races, at least. Uh, Let's close out talking about the Senate. We have just about a minute left. There are an awful lot of high-profile Senate races that are unfolding across the country. What are you, KCBS political reporter Doug Sovereign, going to be watching Tuesday night? Yeah, there's a half dozen that could go either way. Uh, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, Ohio, North Carolina, 
Arizona, Nevada, how many is that? Seven, I think. Ohio, I think, probably goes Republican because it's a very tough climate for Democrats in Ohio. But that Georgia race between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker, um, that's a toss-up. So is the Pennsylvania race between John Fetterman and Mehmet Oz. So is the Arizona race, incumbent Mark Kelly. Nevada, Catherine Cortez Masto uh, could go down to Adam Laxalt, which is an old... Nevada political name. His father, of course, Paul Laxalt, was a senator there. So um, those are really close races that the polling shows really could go either way. And it may be that the Democrats pick up a couple of seats and end up with a 52-48 or even 53-47 margin in the Senate. Or it could go the other way. And it's the Republicans who have that advantage, which would be huge for them to get both houses of Congress. I think the most likely scenario as you crunch these numbers right now is that it stays 50-50 or maybe the Democrats end up up a seat or two. Um, it's hard for me to believe Herschel Walker will really win in Georgia, but he could. And again, these, these races are going to be very close and they may not be decided on election night. It may be a few days before we know which uh, party wins the Senate. But I do think we should know uh, by the end of the night, Tuesday, which party gets the House. All right. A couple of prognosticative quotes right there that we can hold you to come Wednesday. We'll <laughs> see how things go. This uh, one last time has been KCBS political reporter Doug Sovereign. Thanks so much, Doug. Thanks, Keith. Great to be with you. And don't forget to tune in Tuesday night, folks. We'll have complete election night coverage for you. Be there. Be square. This is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we're getting prepared for Tuesday's elections. We just heard about some of the key races to watch as the returns come in. But there's something else we may need to watch out for on election night and beyond. The threat of political violence. Federal law enforcement officials recently issued a warning that there is an increased possibility of violent domestic extremism during this election cycle. That warning, strangely enough, came on the same day that a man broke into the home of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and attacked her husband, Paul Pelosi. So up next, we're going to take a look behind the warnings to find out what's driving extremism in America and how it could take shape in the days ahead. Joining us for that look, our next guest is Robert Pape. He's a professor of political science at the University of Chicago and the director of the Chicago Project on Security and Threats. Robert Pape, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So you you research attitudes towards political violence, and you've done a lot of work to get a handle on just how far extremist views have spread in the U.S., uh, you know, with surveys, focus groups, a lot of work on that front. And, and I am curious to hear about those findings. But uh, let's take as our starting point the recent act of political violence that is the most close to home for us here in the Bay Area. That is the shocking attack on Paul Pelosi. David DePap, the alleged attacker, has left a pretty long paper trail. And based on the online writings that have been attributed to him so far, a picture is emerging of a man who holds extreme right-wing views and who's driven by anger directed against a number of groups, including the mainstream media, liberals, women, several minority groups. And again, this is only based on what we know publicly. But Professor Robert Pape, how well does this picture of David DePap's views and ideologies, how well does that fit into your findings nationwide when it comes to extremism? Uh, it's a very close fit. You could even say it's a classic example of the attitudes that we see motivating uh, millions of Americans to support violence um, on the right rather than accept elections or uh, what we now call the big lie. 
in our surveys, which I'll tell you more about the, the overall numbers in a moment, but we see um, uh, those millions are driven by great replacement ideas. The idea that uh, this attacker had that was uh, Derek Chauvin was uh, being treated too harshly. Well, that's clear example of what you would call great, great replacement thinking, which is this idea that minorities will uh, soon have more rights than whites in our country. Uh, other uh, conspiracy theories have to do with QAnon, the idea that there are these immoral leaders who are uh, leading our country and then causing the harm to our country. Well, um, from all the direct evidence we have from the attackers' uh, statements during the attack on Paul Pelosi afterwards in his interviews, he is clearly upset about uh, Nancy Pelosi and others as immoral leaders doing harm as he sees it to our country. Uh, he also, there's uh, direct evidence from his interviews, not just his social media record, um, that he believes that Democratic leaders in general uh, and the Democratic Party in general is to be held to account for these, what he calls lies. Uh, he specifically in his social media is condemning the January 6th um, committee and their hearings for, uh, as he sees it, perpetuating a certain set of lies. Finally, he describes himself in these interviews with the law enforcement as an American patriot akin to the American Revolution. And if he has to die for the cause, then so be it as he sees it. So every single one of those points is found in our uh, surveys uh, of the beliefs of those individuals who have the violent sentiments that are essentially pro-Trump um, and are quite dangerous, um, as we are seeing, uh, almost cost Paul Pelosi his life and surely would have harmed uh, Nancy Pelosi had she been there. So we have this toxic mix of extreme views, extreme beliefs, but, you know, having a, a view, a belief, uh, an ideology, that's one thing. But then we see instances like this where it translates into an act of violence. What is your survey? Uh, what is your survey work telling us about how close people are throughout America that hold extreme views, how close they might be to acting uh, out in a violent way at this point? That's right. So so what we need to understand is the environment we now live in in the United States is not a benign environment. Uh, this is an environment that is chock full of uh, millions of individuals who support violence uh, rather than accept elections the, uh, that they don't like. Uh, that doesn't mean they will do the violence themselves necessarily. So that's not quite how to read that. What it means is they create community support for violence so that volatile actors who may be volatile, and this, this person certainly seems to have been volatile, will find a solace in the thought that they have the approval of millions and of, 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 of Americans for violence, which can then cause them to take that next step, to go from being a volatile individual to someone who then acts on those vol on, out that volatility. So what you're seeing 
is not a benign environment where we have a random isolated individual. He happens to have a certain set of these conspiracy beliefs and maybe he's also a, a volatile person individual. No, this is happening in the context of a highly volatile environment that can nudge those individuals over the edge. And what about extreme views on the left? I mean, we can point to the recent example of the a 2017 shooting at a GOP congressional baseball uh, game that uh, seems to be motivated by extreme anger against uh, Republicans. Uh, so we have uh, an example there. What, what can we say about uh, extremism uh, among liberals at this point? Uh, what we can say is that there is support for violence among liberals, but it is not an equivalence in the situations between the right and the left. So just in the last six months since May, uh, we have seen three violent attacks occur from uh, folks on the right motivated by these violent sentiments. The May uh, Buffalo shooter who was motivated by the Great Replacement theory, uh, and then uh, killed 10 African-Americans who were simply standing in line at a grocery store in Buffalo. Then in Cincinnati, uh, on the middle of August, we saw an attacker uh, retaliate for the FBI's uh, raid on Mar-a-Lago by attacking the FBI building in Cincinnati. And then now we have the attack on Pelosi. Well, in that six-month period, we do have a plot, which is a plot against uh, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. You have to mark that as from the left. Um, so this is, uh, the left uh, also has issues, but there's a huge difference here between the right and the left, and it has to do with the leaders of the right and the left. You see, on the right, we have leaders and former President Trump himself, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, uh, others who are essentially the mini Trumps who are now <clears throat> basically coming in or being reelected um, on the right. And they are doubling down on, the on their support, encouraging this violence. Whereas on the left, what you see is... Um, uh, people on the leaders on the left going the other direction. And the best example of that is uh, President Biden in his speech on June 23rd, that's the morning of the Dobbs decision, um, where he is quite uh, upset about the Dobbs decision, but then has big fat paragraph condemning any violence that the left might take and then telling the left they should channel that anger into voting at the ballot box in November. That is completely the opposite that we are seeing. Joe Biden's behavior is moderating the potential for political violence. On the right, we are seeing popular political figures, popular media figures on the right, putting more logs on the fire for political violence. And so that is fundamentally why, um, although there is, there are instances of violence from the left, there are concerns about that. I can even tell you more detail about this. Uh, but fundamentally, it's not an equivalent. Speaking once again to Robert Pape, the director of the Chicago Project on Security and Threats. So, Bringing this in line with the election cycle that we are about to complete and then the post-election cycle that we are about to witness, how might these extreme views and this uh, tinderbox that you're describing right there, how could this lead to violence in the days and weeks ahead? What are the scenarios that you're worried about? 
Well, we have a very precarious situation that's about to start unfolding after next Tuesday. So next Tuesday will be the end will be the end of the voting, but the counting will start. And just as what happened in uh, 2020, many people thought that the violence would be on the day of the vote. I never thought that. That's not really the, the right way to think about this. It's about the counting and then about the consequences that unfold over the next few months, because the outcome of many of these elections will determine um, who controls the House, who controls the Senate. Will Biden be impeached or not? These will be the huge weighty issues. And there are now hundreds of election deniers at various levels here throughout the uh, our political elections that are um, uh, occurring this year. And unfortunately, what that means is that for each of those election deniers, there's not two options. They win or lose. There's three. They win they lose and go home or they lose and put up a ruckus. And that is, it, nobody has a crystal ball that can predict the behavior of those hundreds of individuals or the nature of those races uh, here. We just don't know. But what we know is that there is, we are already in a highly volatile environment. Uh, there is the potential of a number of lightning strikes, as I call them, coming here in the in the coming weeks and several months, all the way through January. This is not over if we get through Thanksgiving. Um, and what you are seeing on the part of President Biden is he is taking the lead in trying to call for essentially bipartisan opposition to political violence. Um, his speech um, this week was not targeted uh, this is not coming uh, out of a clearly Democrat. Uh, he is speaking as the president of the entire country, and he is trying to rally the country, not about who to vote for just on, on, on Tuesday, although that is an issue. It's what is going to happen afterwards, because we are in a very precarious moment. And if we can just uh, come together and recognize that as a people, as a vast majority, we have everything to lose by violence, um, then we will have a chance to strengthen democracy through this election. Well, I think that that is a good note to leave it on how to strengthen democracy through the course of this election. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts to share with our listeners on that front. Obviously, they're not the president. They don't have a bully pulpit. They can't uh, make a speech to the world about the importance of democracy. But, you know, we all have a role to play in our own local communities and the way that we treat those around us, the way that we comport ourselves at the polling places. What would you hope that people are keeping in mind well, over the next couple of days? Well, what I've been saying now for, for many months, going all the way back to my writings in January of this year, is that every American citizen should ask every person who they're thinking about voting for a very simple question, which is, will you, candidate X, accept the outcome, the duly processed outcome through the court system, will you accept the outcome rather than deny the election, rather than support violence over democracy? Hmm. That is the crucial question that each and every one of us can ask for each and every one of the candidates we're thinking about. And that is what it means to think seriously about our democracy, because it is not 
locked in stone. It is, there have been other countries that had a democracy and lost their democracy. So this is not something that's simply locked in. Uh, when you know we talk about this is a precious thing and it's we the people, it really is up to the people. And the people, unfortunately, can simply decide that something else matters more than the power of their vote. Uh, and that is really what we're trying, what, what is important to think about today, which is what really is going to be more important than the power of your vote, not in this election, but in the next, in the next, in the next, for you, your children, your family. Is there really something more important than the power of your vote? And are we really sure that that will never go away? These are the big things to think about as we go forward. Yeah, well, certainly an important set of questions and uh, an important reminder that so many things that we have taken for granted for so long are now potentially up for grabs. And really all of us, as you say, have a role to play in safeguarding them. We have been speaking one last time to Robert Pape, a professor of political science at the University of Chicago, also the director of the Chicago Project on Security and Threats. Robert Pape, thanks so much. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well, and get out there and vote. We'll talk again next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 